and I found the same type of hostility in, 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 in the charismatic circles that, and, and the same type of dogmat, dogmatism, if, if there's such a word, that I found in the reform circles. I found it on, on both sides of the spectrum. And again, I felt very lonely seeking for God and trying to figure out what Christianity is all about. Which brings us to our passage for this evening. And we're going to read it in different sections. I want to start off in First Corinthians 3. And we're going to read, uh, to start off with, just from verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ's is God's. Now, we've spoken about this a number of times, but there is a factional war going on in the church of Corinth. Not between the leaders, but between the congregants who are aligning with various leaders. And these leaders are not even aware that they are at odds with each other. They just bring different gifts to the uh, to the table, and you've got Peter, who's more of a Jewish guy, and he relates to, to Jesus through this very strong Jewish lens. Paul, being almost this aggressive evangelist, uh, but, but he had a particular flavor, and Apollos was this Jew from Alexandria, Egypt, and he was probably uh, an astute philosopher and a good speaker. So you had these three different uh, theologians, three different pastors who were, and, and, and the Corinthian church were essentially fighting about these guys. And they would say, well, I was baptized by this guy. Well, I was baptized by this guy. Or this, Apollos put it in a much better way than Peter, and I think Apollos is right. And, and there was a massive schism in the, in the church. And these Corinthians were boasting about the fact that how they represent, how Apollos represent God, how Peter represents God, how Paul represents God, that is a much better way of getting at it. And Paul's response to this, and, and we just read it, is why do you fight about the small stuff? Why on earth would you fight about the small stuff? I'm not sure if you picked up on it, but in the end, he says, now stop boasting about men. Stop boasting about Apollos or Peter or Paul. The only, don't you know that all are yours? Everything. Apollos is yours. Cephas is yours. Paul is yours. Everything is yours. So what's the issue? So he's basically saying, you guys have the gospel, in other words, there is hope when you stand next to an open grave. That's what you have. The universe and meaning is not doomed. Aren't doomed, rather. There's, there's hope. There's meaning. This universe is going to go to... Uh, uh, it, it, it is going in a particular direction. Jesus is king, and this tyrant Caesar is not. And it doesn't matter what they say, and it doesn't matter which 
uh, strata of society you find yourself in, you are Jesus' king, and that changes the social order completely. The gospel means nothing can separate you from God. The gospel means that new creation has begun and we've got work to do. And the gospel means that God has come good on all the promises he made to Israel. These are the, the wonderful implications and attributes of the gospel. And you guys are fighting about who was baptized by whom? You guys are fighting about theologians who agree on 98%. And you guys are fighting on that 2%. You've got everything, and you, you, you're trying to say, well, we really represent Apollos and his teachings. Well, well, we really represent, and he's saying, Paul is saying, you've got all of it. You don't have to fight about it. And why would you fight about these little scraps when you've got literally everything? I have a toddler, and, and, and he's cool, and I really like him. And when I, when I take him on a play date, then he's got this, he's got this one bosom buddy, Aaron, and, and they regularly go on their play dates. And when they go on their play date, I will sort of pull out the stops because on Saturdays it's sort of my, my turn to, to entertain him. And then we, we will go to a place, and I will try and find a place with an epic jungle gym or maybe a monkey or two, maybe a slip and slide, maybe a, a jumping castle. There must be cool stuff going around. And then when we've picked up the friend, we're on our way there, then they would be fighting over a piece of plastic in the car. And I would say, um, just, just leave the plastic in the car. No, it's my plastic. It's my thing. Um, okay, can I get you another plastic? No, I want this particular plastic. And then I'm trying to say, okay, let's just get out of the car. I just want to expose you to what's behind you. And these guys would be fighting about this plastic, not knowing that there is uh, this circus behind them, a theme park behind them. Everything is amazing if they would just look. Why on earth would you fight about a piece of plastic that is, one, not very hygienic, two, we don't even know how it got in the car, um, and we're definitely not sure it's, it's not a toy. It's just it's some, something it just broke, and, and that's a part of it. But they are fighting about this, and I'm trying to say, can't you guys see what you have? Why don't you go and play? Why don't you go and enjoy this? That's what Paul is telling the Corinthians. And that's what Paul is telling us. We're fighting about the scraps fighting about these little insignificant details. And sometimes these debates are important. I'm not trying to ridicule the debates. But compared to the gospel, it's almost nothing. I'm sorry. The Jew, the first century Jewish audience that Jesus was addressing in his ministry, they, uh, they were fighting about, well, not fighting, but they enforced a lot of very strange Jewish laws. So, for example... There was a massive discussion as to what type of knot is allowed on the Sabbath. And what they came down to after the best rabbi minds got together was it must be a knot that you can undo with one hand. That is a Sabbath knot that, that, that's allowed. We talk about a Sabbath journey. They were not allowed to walk for, almost a, for basically a kilometer 
They weren't allowed to move for more than a kilometer away from their, their home. And sometimes they wanted to do something, so they would just go make a temporary dwelling, put up a tent somewhere in the felt, and then they can just do the Sabbath journey from there so that they do not contravene these laws. Something else that they had to do is they had to walk very carefully because if they lifted the dirt, let's say with the side of their shoe, it could mean that they are plowing, and you're not allowed to do that on, on the Sabbath. There's also the term, a Sabbath's burden. What's, what are you allowed to lift on the Sabbath? And after, again, the greatest rabbi minds got together, they decided a dried fig. A dried fig is the mass that you are allowed to lift on, on the Sabbath. Jesus was very annoyed with all of these discussions about how to keep the Sabbath holy. And all of these debates that I referenced in my childhood and that's still going on are people trying to keep Christianity pure. It, it comes in a certain extent or to a certain extent from a good place. These aren't bad Christians. They are sort of card-carrying Christians, right? And it really annoyed Jesus that these, the Jews of the day were really making it difficult for people to enter the kingdom. They were putting unnecessary restrictions on, on, on the people. And, and friends, I found the, the, the fights and the debates within Christianity as a, as a teenager and then later at varsity, I found those fights a stumbling block for myself as well to come to Jesus. And eventually I, I found faith, and that's another story, and uh, a while longer, me and a friend, Rudolf, we planted dialogue. And one of the things that we decided from the get-go is that at dialogue, we are almost going to militantly not fight about some of these, what we regard as peripheral, non-essential issues in the church. In other words, if you are, if, 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 if you are convicted by infant baptism, as many are, then go for it. If you are convicted by a believer's baptism, as many are, then go for it. If you just want to uh, bless, dedicate your, your child, then, then we do it. Are you into predestination? That's fine. Are you an Arminian? Great. Uh, it, it's, it's not a debate. It's not a, it's not a hill that we as a community want to die on at all. And um, the... the, the the theology behind it, the motivation behind it, is that because the gospel is so big and so huge, it, we can handle the disagreements around the gospel. It can sustain that. And, and, and if these disagreements become too much, then we must just focus more on the gospel because that's where the, 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 the magic, that's where the magic is. I want to continue reading, and this time from chapter 4, uh, verse 1. This is how one should regard us. He's talking about him and Apollos and, and Peter. As servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any uh, human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. 
and each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So Paul had his supporters in Corinth, but he also had his critics in Corinth. Now, the supporters were probably inspired by his zeal and the fact that he's been everywhere and that he's, he's a major church planter. And his critics were maybe not overly impressed with his rhetorical style. And, and how Paul responds to that, friends, can really be life-changing. And I, and I don't say that lightly. I know that I'm, I'm a professional Christian. I'm paid to tell you that, that what happens here is life-changing. But I'm telling you how Paul approaches this can truly be life-changing. So the first thing that he says is, I want to clarify, we are stewards. Apollos, myself, Peter, we are stewards. Now, what is a steward? A steward is somebody who works for a landlord. In other words, there are certain tasks that need to be done, and the steward must carry out those respective tasks. The steward only answers to the landlord. If you've got various peasants who are not impressed with the steward, then it's like, well, my, my boss is the only one that I'm trying to impress. And that is what Paul is saying. The first one is that, guys, some of you are really big fans of me. I don't care. Uh, some of you guys are very big critics of me. Uh, guys, again, I really don't care. I am a steward, and I, I have this audience of one, and it's only his approval that I'm after. I'm not trying to impress anyone except God. And in the process, Paul becomes the freest man in all the world. You know, he was so many times in prison, but that guy was one of the freest people ever because of this the psychological effect of the gospel really entrenched in his heart. Now, he's got an interesting move that he pulls. He says, I want you to know that I really don't care what you think of me. Then he goes on and he says, I want you to know that I really don't even care what I think of myself. Now, we've spoken about this before. That first line is very hot right now. In, in our society. I don't care what you think of me. And it's like, boom, you can drop the mic, and every, every second pop music song is, is about it, and um, pretty much the premise of every Disney movie is, I don't care, I don't care what you think of me. But then Paul breaks with Disney when he says, as a matter of fact, I don't even care what I think of myself. I really don't care what I think of myself. I only care what God thinks of me. Now, here's the thing. We are often always trying to figure out how we can find other people's approval and how we can even find our own approval. And sometimes other people are not really thinking about us at all. And the biggest person and the biggest obstacle that we need to bridge in terms of, 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 of trying to, to, to settle the voices are our own voices. It's what we think of ourselves, am I right? That's often 
what is, what is most haunting in our mind. And Paul says, you know, I'm not even there. I don't even care. I don't even judge myself. Now, does that make him intolerable? Because you can meet a Christian or two who says, you know what, I don't care what you think of me, I don't care what I think of me, I only care what God thinks of me, and you know what, you're not nice and you dress ugly, and shame on you and, and God will judge you, and uh, hell awaits you because you are um, watching Pokemon. And uh, it, it's very easy to imagine a type of Christian reading this and then appropriating it in, in that kind of way. But Paul has this other move that I think undermines that approach, and that is when he says, I am not thereby, for I am not aware of anything against myself. I do not even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. So he says, even though it is the Lord who judges me, and yes, absolutely, he, he is the one. It doesn't mean that I always fully represent him. I can make mistakes. I can even make mistakes in how I talk about God. And I must be careful of that. I must be very humble in, in how I approach these things. So when I say, thus saith the Lord, I must be very sure about what I have to say. So he's, he's, he's very introspective, and he doesn't care what he thinks. He doesn't care what other people think. He only cares what God thinks. And he knows that even that last line can be corrupted. And that is why he says, and I also leave room for the fact that I might be messing up this section as well. And the result of all of that is that a guy like Paul has become immune to criticism because if, if the criticism is fair, then he says, oh, wow, I think you're right, and uh, that is really what God wants me to hear right now, and I care what he thinks, so I need to adjust my life. Or, your criticism is unfair, and I'm, I'm okay. It really doesn't matter. It's not, it's not going to kill me. And in our society of approval addiction that has just been exacerbated by social media and the type of, you know, the amount of likes that we get or um, likes that we get or shares or followers or, 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 or whatever, the idea that you are completely free of that, that offer, is something that we must take seriously, and it is something that, that Paul takes seriously. But then he goes on to another thing that I think is very interesting. He says, as a steward, the only question is, am I trustworthy? Am I trustworthy? Now, the Bible is not really interested in success. It doesn't really have a category for success. When it praises people, it doesn't praise them, that guy was really successful. I'm impressed. That's never the language. It's always, that person was very faithful. That person was trustworthy. Now remember the parable of the talents, where the master gives talents to these, these, his stewards, and some of the guys do, they, they, they uh, what, do, what do you put it, they, they 100%, they doubled it. There we go. That's why they pay you the big bucks. Um, they, they doubled it. And, uh, and then the other person, he just put it in the, in the soil. He didn't do anything with it. But what is interesting is when the master talks to them, he says, you have been faithful 
You have been trustworthy. Not you have been successful. You have been faithful. Now that is interesting because that changes how we, how we relate to this world and how we relate to our careers. So the question is not, are you the smartest in your class? The question is, are you faithful with what you have? The question is not, did I make a name for myself? The question is not, am I financially successful? Did I climb the ranks at work or wherever? Have I become a top researcher? Do I have my PhD? Have I acquired my husband and my family? And all of these various boxes we tick. That is not a question that the Bible is particularly interested in. The only question that the Bible continuously asks of us is, have you been faithful? And that means, friends, if you can reflect on that and say, yes, just imagine the freedom that comes after that declaration. Yes, I've been faithful. I, I've got a few gifts, and, and I did it. Now, you know, sometimes people can be so overwhelmed because we can say, uh, have you brought the kingdom of God today in this world? And, and it's not a bad saying, and I like the zeal and I like the urgency of that. But I think it's equally true to say, have you been faithful today? And that means that in your walk, in your interaction with whether it was the, the, the clerk or whether it was um, someone here at church or whether it was at your work, whether it was in your work, whether it was sitting behind the laptop, whatever, all of those mundane things. The question is more, have you been faithful today in what you've done? And that changes the dynamic. If you are like me, then the answer comes back, no, I have not been faithful. I have not been faithful in, uh, in so many things, and, and uh, perhaps you can relate to this, but when I, when I look back at, 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 at my schooling career, I think, man, I really wasted that. I mean, you basically get paid to play sport, and uh, you, can, you can study a bit. I mean, how on earth did I not milk that more? Really wasted that. I could have learned a foreign language by now. Come on. Instruments, when Marcus and these guys are playing. Man, and I always blame my mom. Why didn't you send me to, uh, to, to learn how to play an instrument? And she said she did, and then they sent me back with a refund. But uh, uh, it's like, oh, man, I really wasted that. And then I went to varsity, and I did everything within my ability not to study. And I remember every time... I had to study, I had to crunch, I would go to this thing that they call a library, and, 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 and it's quiet because in the hostel it was uh, uh, impossible. So I would go there, and then I would browse through these books that we were supposed to read, and I would go through and say, this is so interesting. Wow, why wasn't I more interested in this? Wow, just look at that. It would have been amazing to actually go to the classes and, and read these things when they told me to. I can't now have to skip, skip, skip and just figure out what he's going to ask me. Um, wasted. Not a good steward. And, and here's the thing. If the answer is no, you have not been the greatest steward, then the answer back is a loving father who's waiting for you with open arms saying, I can't wait for you to start over. 
can't wait for you to begin again. And you know what? I, I look back now on my 20s and I think, oh man, I wasted my singleness. Why didn't I, uh, you know, Gior is now volunteering at this uh, Echo House. Jan Chris also did it where they live with orphans and it's, it's this, I think, amazing community. And there's something in me that's really just, I think it's a good jealous if there's such a thing. But, oh man, I would have loved to use my singleness better than, than what I did. Said I was sitting at home watching series and feeling sorry for the fact that, that, that nobody's responding to my... Um, I wasn't on dating apps, so uh, I can't even finish that. But uh, my requests, my, my swipes, and, uh, and, 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 and it is a bit of a waste. But here's the thing. I am probably, in 10 years now, going to look back at this moment and think, oh man, I really... I really wasted my 30s. Could have done so much in that time. So can you see that it's never too late to start? Because in a couple of years' time, we're going to reflect back on what we've experienced now, and we're going to lament the fact that we weren't faithful. So what we've done up until this point is absolutely irrelevant, especially from a biblical perspective. So the answer is, start again. Here we go. And I find that very comforting. The fact that this refresh and this reset button is, is pushed. And this person who is waiting for us, who is our master, he is just so happy that we are back. And he is just delighted. And he is not welcoming us as anything other than a child into his arms. And he reminds us again, there you go. Go be a steward. Go be faithful. The next passage I'm going to read is from verse, from verse 10, Corinthians 4, from verse 10. And it goes like this. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed, and we are buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our hands. We are reviled, we bless, we, persecu- we, we are persecuted. We, when persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things, the refuse of all things. Now, here's what's going on in terms of, in terms of Paul's argument. He's saying, you guys, you Corinthians, are still trying to figure out who's got the most honor based on who, which leader you are following. Can I just tell you what is happening to people like me and Cephas and... Uh, uh, and Apollos. We are mocked, we are ridiculed, we are imprisoned, and when we do these things, we are trying to forgive, we are trying to bless the, the, the people who are doing these things, but there is absolutely nothing honorable about our lifestyle, and yet you guys are trying to figure out who's the most honorable in the congregation that side based on us, and there's nothing honorable going on in our lives. And it's because you guys are still looking at honor and wisdom through the lens of this world. And that's why Christian wisdom and Christian honor look so foolish to you. That is what, why, what, that is, what is going on here. When he says when we've been, uh, when we, when we've been reviled, we bless. When we've been persecuted, we endure. When we've been slandered, we entreat. 
In other words, they are not responding in kind. They forgive. They do not retaliate. That makes a little bit of sense to us as 21st century people uh, on, on this side of a lot of history. But to the ancient mind, that didn't make any, any sense whatsoever. As a matter of fact, if you go to the Middle East to this day, then it doesn't make any sense. So for example, there's this famous Muslim debater called Ahmed Didat. And he's probably the most famous Muslim apologist that's ever gone around. And he's a South African, so we can claim him as ours. But he was this international, he was there in Durban, and uh, he was this international guy. And, and he, very good rhetorician, when he took the stage, you can get his stuff online, but feisty. And he would, he would just uh, entertain the crowd. And then he, sometimes he would debate Christians. And, uh, and once he invited this guy on stage... And he said, so if I understand it, the way that you Christians see honor is that you are not supposed to retaliate when somebody slaps you. Yes. Bah! On stage, slaps him in the face. Um, and he says, okay, if I understand you correctly, um, now this is done in the Middle East, they think it's hilarious. What type of man will allow that to happen to himself? He says, if I understand you correctly, I'm supposed to hit you on the other one as well now. Bah! And he says, okay, I am also, if I understand you correctly, if I ask you, for, for your coat. You're supposed to give me everything. I'm all right. He says, you're right. Eventually, that guy walks off in his underwear, off, off the stage, and it's massive applause, and people are just having the greatest time. Because this idea of somebody who is willing to dishonor themselves like that doesn't make any sense to the Middle Eastern mind. It didn't make any sense to the ancient mind. Aristotle, the great... Greek philosopher, he agreed, and he called great-heartedness. In other words, this, the importance of, of, your, of your own personal honor and responding to slight, he called it one of the greatest and highest virtues. As a matter of fact, in Islam today, it grants and affirms the right to revenge. What Paul is preaching and what him and Apollos and, and Peter are living is foolish. And it's, it, it might not be as foolish to us today as it was back then, but it is utterly, utterly foolish. They forgive. They do not retaliate. They, they bless. And you guys are fixated on your honor based on us. We've got no honor. You guys are still looking at this thing through a worldly lens and not through the lens of the cross. And the last section I want to read for us in Paul's argument is from verse 14 to 16. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Be imitators of me. That sounds weird to my modern ear. It sounds a little bit egotistical, doesn't it? Please, just can you be a little bit more like me, right? So, so we are uncomfortable with that kind of language. But that is only because we do not understand how, how people learned back then, especially within the Jewish community, where when you followed a rabbi, what you did is you imitated this guy. You almost developed his walk. You developed his mannerism. That is how you learned back then, is through imitation. So Paul says, imitate me. But he's saying, imitate me when 
we are talking about these various things. And what were they fighting? Well, they were fighting about divisions. They were minoring in the majors and majoring in the minors. And he's saying, don't. Imitate me. Just hold on to the gospel. Just hold on to the cross. Don't worry about all of those things. And he calls them children, which is very patronizing, especially to an ancient uh, Mediterranean, Middle Eastern mind, to say, uh, you, you are children, and you must imitate me. And then he goes on and he says, uh, you guys take other people's, you guys are judgmental, and you are judging me, and you are judging Apollos, and you are judging us, but uh, you, you still have this self-esteem template of the world where I'm saying you, shouldn't, you, you, you should forget about yourself. Object of life is not to think more of yourself, it's not to think less of yourself, it's to think of yourself less. Imitate me when I say that. Stop this approval addiction. You still think through honor, you still think of honor through worldly terms. Don't. Forgive. Be gracious. Be charitable. Do not retaliate. And then he says, how are you going to learn this? Imitate. Observe. Now, friends, when people tell me that Christianity is, you know, they, they're Christians, and, but they don't believe in organized religion, and they don't, they don't like church, I mean, I get it. The churches behave very badly. But I just want to tell you that the Bible doesn't have a category for a type of Christianity that is not lived out in a spiritual community. It, it, it doesn't have a category to make sense of that. And one of the reasons why it is so important is because at church, within a Christian community, we learn how to imitate. We learn how to imitate. And it is here where it is so important, and that's why the church has for, for, for almost forever structured their church in such a way where they appoint elders. And what is an elder? It is somebody who's followed Jesus a little bit longer than you. And, and they are gracious. And they are generous. And they've really immersed themselves in the Gospels. And they, they've got a prayer life that I envy. And their marriages has gone through more than, than my young marriage or my singleness or, or whatever. Let's learn from them. Today, our society, we've got this cult of youth, don't we? where the younger the better. If you are an adult, you're actually always looking stupid because you never know how to open the app. You never know how to switch on the television. You never know how to, what is the Bluetooth, what is the, this. Um, and the, the, the young one almost looks like, like, they, like they are in charge, but spiritually, it doesn't work at all, I can assure you. It is something that we need to imitate from our elders. And that is why in... In this community, I would really urge you, look at people. Find someone that you, that you admire in the Christian definition of, of the word that you wish to imitate. And maybe sometimes even formalize it. I, I've, got a, I've got a mentor, and I, I see Nina's uncle, um, Andre. And, and I try to see Andre at least once a month, and we just talk about stuff. And sometimes when, uh, when Lorraine and I fight and we can't, we, we, we're struggling to, to, uh, uh, to, to move beyond this, and Andre's on speed dial, Andre, we're going to come and see you. And then he lays down you know, certain aspects of the gospel. I don't have just one person, I've got a couple of people. 
because I've got a lot of issues. So I need, I need, I need a few of those. But, but, but we are called to do that, friends. We are called to be imitators, yes, of Jesus, and that's what we try to do here every Sunday is we try to hold up Jesus. But that can be a little bit abstract sometimes, and that's why we also have to follow people who are following Jesus. It's actually so important. And if you come here in the mornings, it, it's absolute chaos. It's just toddlers everywhere, and it, it, it looks like a, a zombie apocalypse movie. And, and we've, we've sometimes struggled to just maintain a, a sense of sanity when we're having church with all these kids. But it's so healthy for them, even if it's in the chaos, to see us pray, to see us uh, reflect on somebody who's gone through suffering, to hear something like that, to, 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 to hear us just uh, express our condolences or our interest in other people's lives because that is something that they will copy. Even if they don't do it intentionally, it is something that they will copy. I remember I, my, my father was a high school teacher and he died when I was 11. So two years later, I go to the high school and I have to give a speech in the, in the hall on one of our rugby tours. But I mean, th this, this was not one of Ferrum High School in KwaZulu-Natal, Newcastle's famous speeches. It was really, we got on the bus at 7 o'clock on Friday, we left we uh, played against Rob Ferreira in Vitrefeer. We won that game 14-13. We played against Kersney. We lost that game. Uh, coach says that we played very well and he was proud of us. And um, we're very glad. And then, you know, you sit. And when I looked back, the, the staff were sitting here and I just saw the, half of them crying. And I thought, geez, was it such a bad speech? And afterwards, when I asked them, what on earth is going on? They just said, the way that I held the, what do you call this thing? Lectern. Um, the way that I held the lectern just looked exactly, and the way that I leaned, I don't know what was the mannerism, looked exactly like my dad and how he would do it, you know, Monday after Monday, Friday after Friday. And they just got like this vivid image of this is this little young Loki who is holding the, the lectern like that. And the reason I share that is because I didn't know that I was really paying attention to my dad in that kind of detail. But as a kid, you are observing. And Paul says, you are children. Come to this community as children, and we must observe, and we must imitate this life, this Christian life within the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we want to recognize that we are often so, so busy focusing on the, the minors and, and fighting about things that's really relevant. Uh, and I pray, Lord, that we will truly be a community that can that can maintain deep differences between each other. And I say deep 
but it is superficial in comparison to the gospel. I pray, Lord Jesus, that like the Corinthian church, uh, that we will be able to practice something of this self-forgetfulness that Paul is talking about, that we will not care what others think and that we won't even care what we think, but that we will only care what you think of us. And we already know what the answer to that is. Lord, we want something of that freedom and we ask you for it. Lord Jesus, we also realize that nothing has changed in the 2,000 odd years between the Corinthians and us in the sense that we still have a very worldly understanding of honor. And it is our prayer this evening that through our being together, Sunday after Sunday, cell group after cell group, uh, Mamalodi tutoring after Mamalodi tutoring, whatever the activity is that we are partaking in, that we will become more and more like you, that the gospel will be more entrenched in our bones, and that we will be able to forgive, be generous, be kind, be gracious. And Lord Jesus, we also pray that we can become a community where we really value learning from each other in various departments, in various aspects. Imitate each other. But Lord, we only imitate each, each other because we desperately want to become more like you. And that is only possible, Lord, because of what you've done for us on the cross and because of your resurrection and you call us to this life. You say, be holy as I am holy, Lord, and uh, we need each other to come near to that. Help us on that journey in Jesus' name. Amen.